Good evening and welcome to another episode of um, Elite Rugby Banter. This evening, it's uh, Andrew here joined with me. It's just the two of us this evening, but we have plenty to talk about, plenty of rugby that happened on the weekend. We're happy to report that uh, we're talking after a Springboks win this week, so we have a little bit of energy, although not enough energy was generated um, as obviously the Springboks didn't come away with the tournament, and we'll get into exactly why given that New Zealand uh, pulverized Australia in the earlier match on Saturday. And we also have a lot of URC matches to talk about, or at least uh, brush through. All of the South African teams were in action this weekend, and it was a rare four out of four for the South African teams, especially with two of the teams playing away. Very impressive all round. Um, but let's introduce Andrew. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm very well, thanks, Phil. I've got a whiskey in hand, and I've just been out for sushi dinner. So... I'm feeling pretty happy with myself. Thank you. <laughs> How are you? Sounds good. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks too. I'm just sitting in the dark on my own in my flat, given load shedding, but um, you know, also got a beer in hand, so I'm as ha- I'm happy as can be. Um, yeah, so we're just going to dive straight in, I think, um, and we're going to start with the rugby championship. So, firstly, New Zealand beat Australia. Uh, I think the final score was 40-14. It was very one-sided, not quite a a repeat of the previous week, but um, I think Australia will still be disappointed, um, and New Zealand did enough to pretty much guarantee a rugby championship, barring a massive Springbok victory, which never really looked like happening. Um, And yeah, Andrew, do you think that given the... All the results in the previous tournament, there was much of a surprise in this week, seeing New Zealand were hosting. No, I think everyone thought the the All Blacks would get the the wool over the Wallabies again. They'd already been disheartened by the fact that they could yet again not uh, get a Bledisloe Cup. Um, so I don't think they had much of a chance with New Zealand playing at home. And I think um, I'm just reading here the the facts around the the loss, and it's apparently the Wallabies' 23rd straight defeat at Eden Park. So they haven't won there since 1986, and I don't think any of us thought that was going to change anytime soon. So the question was always, given you know the, the really weird way that this year's tournament played out and how equal it was, um, I think that the question was more, you know, could Australia hold them to a narrow margin? And they couldn't. I mean, I, I wasn't able to catch the game myself, but... I heard that the, the the likely candidates came out and, and showed up and the likes of Geordie Barrett and Will Jordan and Cody Taylor, who got a rare start to hooker. He doesn't seem to be favoured these days, but I think he's an absolutely world-class player. Uh, stuck their hands up and, and ripped Australia to shades and made, and made a, a real mountain for the Springboks to climb. Yeah, I think um, from a Springboks fan's perspective, it was really disheartening just to see quite early on it was quite evident that it was just going to be sort of damage control just limitation of that score because i think as early as the first half an hour it was pretty clear that new zealand were doing enough to win with the bonus point um i think it's always interesting when new zealand just sort of put on the um they they really just make uh their strength up front really well known and when they start getting their rolling more going and they Australia struggling to deal with that. I think Takiaho and Cody Taylor both got tries. Um, 
and just yeah not not able to cope with their forward pressure let alone when you've got someone like will jordan who finally sort of looked like after what's been a super quiet year for him so far at least for the all blacks finally getting um a few running meters in yeah and i like the new zealand team selection i thought um you know jordy is more of a capable 12 than havili's looked right. like all season and um it's it's been a, a real debating point on this podcast about the balance of the New Zealand uh, uh, back row. And I thought the selections of Adi, Dalton Papali'i and Akira was about the most balanced that I've seen come out. I just, I'm, I'm not on the Kane train yet, even though he has put in a few good performances. <laughs> um, I just don't think he deserves to be in that All Black uh, team at this point. So... Yeah, I know you're a big fan of Hoskins Satutu who was on the bench, but I, I like the balance of that that back row and having the dual playmakers of Bowden Barrett at 15 and Richie Mong at 10 um, also is an experiment that the All Blacks have flirted with a few times now with limited success, but um, it sounds like they really found some fluency against Australia who, who just weren't a match this weekend. Yeah, I think you're right The like Jordy at 12 especially seemed like it made a big difference. I mean, I think especially at Super Rugby level, Havili is always looking pretty good, but he just doesn't quite have that same impact at um, international level. And Jordy with his size and his power and his pace, and especially like other things which a 12 really needs, like distribution and, you know, solid defense and everything else really, he really um, brought it. And I think, to be honest, given that how well he performed, I can't see them going back to any of the other options for the next matches, I guess, on the end of year. So obviously, injuries aside, we'll see what happens. But yeah, all in all, a very comprehensive win for New Zealand. Um, and yeah, like we said, they they set a mammoth task for the Springboks. I think the Springboks needed to win with a bonus point and 39 points, which I, I guess will lead straight into that match. So knowing what they had to do, the team had already been... Um, Named, of course, before that, uh, we had Franz Stein as the fly half, making just his second ever start in the number 10 jersey for the Springboks. Um, a lot of injuries, like that, it's been well documented, especially in the back line. So, not the strongest team, Springbok team on paper, especially if you're looking to get that number of tries and that big of a win. But um, were you feeling at all confident going into the match before kickoff? I felt like we, we probably had it in us, um, and I don't know if that's just the eternal optimist of a Springbok supporter, but I felt like we, we had the wool over the, the Argentinians and we had a team that could do it. I mean, you mentioned that there's been some incredible injuries across the back line specifically. I think we, we went through an injured Springbok back line lineup and you could have, uh, I'll just run through it now. I mean, so there's, you know, at 10, you could have Pollard, 11, and course, uh, no, course he was, I guess he was with the squad, but um, Colby at 11, let's say, Willemsa at 12, Am at 13, um, pick, take another pick at, at 14 for wing, and then, you know, 15, we had Kirtley Aronso, who was on the suspension most of the, the tournament, and you, you start yeah. putting together a really good backline out of those injured players, like a, a team that could compete at the highest level. So we had a mix and match, and with players that hadn't played together, and Franz Stein, you know, we, we started the match in a, 
pretty bullish fashion. Uh, we turned down four kickable kicks at goal in the first few minutes to go for the corner, and each time just kept coming up short. And I think it it, it was, you know, we we didn't score many points in the first 20 minutes, despite having major major possession dominance and, and some territorial dominance too. The Argentinians really yeah. didn't look in the game. Um, they were defending and just managing to keep us out either through just pure grit or a bit of assistance from the ref. I mean, I thought, Phil, I don't know what your opinion is of that um, disallowed Ibn Etzebeth try from the line-out where he pulled the ball down and seemed to pass it off to Khaleesi, but without ever mm. taking his hands off the ball himself and then sort of ripped it yeah. back from Khaleesi and crashed over the line. What did you think? Was that a, a fair oh. disallowed try? I thought it was really frustrating, um, you know, from obviously a spectator view watching on the TV because the refs and the or the team of referees sort of made it seem that they had a clear view that, you know, there was a change in possession between Elizabeth and Khaleesi. And from the camera angles that we saw, like there was certainly no evidence of that. So to be able to be so sure that that had happened and to be able to rule out the try felt a little, it, yeah, it felt wrong to me. Um, I can understand it just about, but yeah, I, I definitely disagreed with that decision. I just didn't see how they could be so sure that it's a bit wasn't in control of the ball that whole time. Yeah, it's, it's a real great area where two players have their hands on the ball. Who and, and clearly, like you know, from every lineup that we've ever watched, the intention is to hand it back to the next guy yeah. in, the, in the mall. But to my eye, like there was never any separation between his hands and the ball, and therefore has a transfer of possession occurred. And then if you're ripping it back, right, taking back possession, or did you have possession the whole time? And I think that the on-field ruling was try, so they had to have exactly. compelling evidence to overturn, yeah. and that exactly. Me, wasn't wasn't true yeah i i think i agree with you that's that was the irritating thing for me the question was like you know because it was an on-field try can you show us why it's not and i couldn't see it and it's almost like they gave the benefit of the doubt away from the springboks in this case just because it's like you said it's normally expected of a mall that you would hand it to the back of the mall so they sort of just assumed that that happened or would happen anyway but um, yeah, I mean, that was one of, I guess, m- maybe not so much refereeing controversy as much as referee involvement from my view. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I think this was the biggest like controversial decision, but there were, I think, six yellow cards in total and I think 39 penalties, something along that line. So one thing that can be said for certain is that, you know, the referees were involved a lot. So I think the the more important question is like, should they have been? And like, is it really their fault that the players were infringing so much or did they lose control of the game? I mean, if you're giving giving six yellow cards in a game, it's not like, you know, I think the normal sort of um, thing if is that if the referees lose control of the game, they're like scared to give up um, cards and penalties. But that, yeah, so I, I I don't quite know how I feel about it because I think the players, but also like the game plans and then the referees' interpretations, it all sort of came together to produce what was not the greatest spectacle because of the stop-start affair, uh, sort of nature of it. But yeah, what, how did you feel in terms of that? Yeah, it was a very 
refing heavy game. I think, as you said, the game plans almost played into this because early on the Springboks were exerting such dominance and were looking to really enforce that. And they yeah. they really they really like put their 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 foot onto the necks of the Argentinians at scrum time, especially, um, and and looked to milk those penalties and keep that pressure on and keep the you know kicking for the corner and getting those lineups drives which never really got going except for the disallowed try um so that they, they were looking to milk penalties and they did that successfully which pushed the penalty count up and later in the game i think the box also got desperate because the argentinians were getting back into it yeah and they started getting a little bit ill-disciplined just to just to keep them out and keep them from scoring um so yeah it was it was a case of i think the game plans were geared towards getting the ref to blow his whistle in a way, um, but also just the, uh, there weren't many calls that I disagreed with the ref on. I think the two that involved Eben Etzebeth with his yellow card and that disallowed try were yeah. very questionable to me. And I would have been very scared ref trying to shake Eben's hand after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because um, uh, Yeah, that, that push um, into, of, into that Argentinian yeah. to, to claim that he then, upset the the safe landing of the his teammate as a result of even pushing him like there was any intent to put him in that situation was just absolute rubbish i mean the the guy barely touched the opposing player who fell into a dangerous position and yeah it just doesn't didn't feel right that even with the tv evidence the ref still came to that conclusion it felt very over the top if anything blow it as a penalty and move on because I, there's no way that Evan could have done or predicted that that would have happened as a result of him pushing the player. I mean, you can't just yeah. push each other and rugby, rugby field all the time. Yeah, I, I, I agree. That that one was actually also, I sort of had forgotten about it, but that, that decision was also just super frustrating because it, again, it felt almost like the referees, but just the group of them, I guess, as a collective, almost felt like they had already made their mind up so even though the the sort of some of the replays and some of the angles showed us that you know it's a bit pretty much pushed the guy like away from where the the dangerous collision happened they like weren't willing to accept that they you know that it's a bit wasn't in the wrong there so yeah that one was frustrating too but i i i think for me in terms of the whole game what was more frustrating is that like the Springboks, they they definitely had the capability just to almost like strangle the life out of Argentina and suffocate them in a way that you could have potentially just got like six or seven tries from rolling malls, from, you know, consecutive penalties, from big scrums and that sort of thing. But it wasn't working. And despite that, we still couldn't, we didn't have enough of a plan B. And I know that obviously, like we said, lots of injuries, like lack of, lacking that cohesion in the back line any fluency whatsoever but then and i know really wasn't having a good game but to take him off at like 55 minutes or so um you know despite even if he's having a bad game despite his flaws the one thing that he is good at is you know just sort of creating having that bit of spark to create something in the back line um and we weren't really doing it even while he was on to be fair but taking him off just felt like okay we're not even really gonna try to you know, score any tries in the back line, and we're just gonna keep doing what we've been trying, even though it's not really working. 
Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. Um, Vili has has the ability to spark something, and it just didn't feel like Bronstein's day. Um, yeah. I think he, he sort of set the tone for the Springbok performance. It showed, and this is sort of a microcosm of their entire tournament, like showed a hell of a lot of pro like promise and a lot of dominance and a lot of very promising moments, and then just didn't execute. Uh, he... Yeah. Yeah, at one stage the crowd started cheering when he found touch off penalties because <laughs> he yeah. touched what three times early on in the game, trying to be too greedy for for meters yeah. and just being he was really like lackadaisical about the way he approached his kicks out of hand. Um, yeah, exactly. He seemed very like measured or um, balanced in the way he was kicking. He was like slicing the ball and just eventually Vili took over the kicking duties and, and everyone cheered and I was like. Wow, that, that really does show that um, it's not really France's day. And I mean, he nailed a beautiful long distance kick, which was also a call debated by the commentators. I thought you know, in the context of the game, it wasn't the worst call. Yeah. Um, yeah, it wasn't his day. He's not a natural fly half. And everyone knows he's just a stopgap in that position until we have one of our th first three choice fly halves in the game. I think even if, if Colby was fit, he probably would have played ahead of France staying at, at fly half. And that would have been fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, why not? Um, he's played there for Toulouse, I think. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't his day. It didn't really suit him. He and Damien de Allende were completely out of sync. They dropped passes between them on a number of occasions, and it, it stopped our fluency, and it set the tone for a game in which the Springboks showed that we had the potential to, to run in the type of score we needed to win the rugby championship, but we just made too many small errors, enforced and unenforced. Um, and Argentina, Argentina weren't really our match on the day. I think they, they did well to get themselves back into the game. But yeah. if, we were, if we were playing a test just to beat Argentina, we would have been so well ahead because we wouldn't have been pushing for those corners. We would have been taking the points on offer and just clocking up a total. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it was frustrating as a Springbok supporter. It's always great to get a win. And we won by 17 points. Yeah. We weren't playing too much. But it wasn't our best performance. And like I said, that's a bit of a microcosm for the rest of the tournament. It felt like we showed, in all of our games, we showed real promise and real potential for great performances and always fell short for, for one or more reasons. Yeah, I think that inconsistency um, sort of was there across all four teams, to be honest. And we're going to go into a, an attempted... Um, team of the tournament towards the end of this podcast but I think that's going to make it difficult because there was so much um, ups and downs or there were yeah for each team so good performances and bad performances all around and so being able to choose someone or these a number of players who have had four or more I, I can't remember how many games that each played um, you know good performances might be a bit of a struggle but we'll get there eventually but I think just um, to finish off with the Springboks, going into the end-of-year tour, there's a lot to work on, of course, um, just in terms of who and where, like, um, and what positions we need to sort of maybe even focus on. Are there any positions where you would want to see new potential players coming in from URC teams or anything like that? Or do you think from here on to the World Cup, we've, you know, we've created our wider net of players and we need to just choose who we want to choose from. 
Uh, Andrew? Sorry, I think there's I think there's still space for players to break into the team out of the URC. I don't think there's uh, people should rule it out, but time is ticking away before the World Cup, and there's not that many test matches left to blood new players. I think we've we've done very well because we've had to with injuries to blood new players in the outside backs or the wings. Yeah. We've yeah. played Villiers 15, so. But the, the likes of Kirtley Orens and Kane and Moody have stepped up and really made those positions their own. And, you know, Colby's a brilliant player, but he's going to have to prove the game that he deserves his jersey. I don't doubt he will do that. And he would be sure. my choice wing still if he recovers from injury. But we have the likes of Kirtley Orens, Kane and Moody, Colby, Corsi, Mapimpi. You know, those wing stocks are looking pretty healthy right now. Um, and with utility backs like... You know, Warwick Gallant coming in and potentially filling in there. Jesse Creel also filled in there. You know, we've got guys who've shown they can do the job. Yeah. Uh, so that's been one area where we've done really well. Um, there, there still could be one or two break-ins uh, for players in the URC. Um, I think the guys like um, Leland Zass was unfortunate not to get Springbok selection at the end of the URC season last year as the top try scorer and a really consistent performer. Yeah. Um, Angelo Davids, I mean, I'm really showing my Stormers bias here. <laughs> but, um, yeah. He's also, you know, he's really cooked for the Sevens team and he's been as good for the 15s. I think he's he's made a more of a mark in his very short time in 15s than someone like Sinatla has done. And you know, ironically, I think he's going to benefit off the Sinatla injury during the URC uh, yes, yeah. last weekend. I think he'll get a lot of consistent starts now on the wing. He was probably competing with Sinatla to some extent. Um, so and we're, we're looking healthy in the outside backs. And at fly half, I think we know, uh, well, I don't, we don't know whether Elton Yankees is going to see a Springbok jersey again. Uh, the yeah. game, it depends on the internal sort of team management and where they, they decide that he's too disruptive now after you know, consecutive incidents. Yep. Um, do they invite him back? The problem is we, we have Damien Willemsen and he did a job there. He again wasn't perfect. I mean, his goal kicking was very wayward. Um, and in clutch matches, look, he did, he did kick one really clutch <laughs> kick to beat, I think it was Wales, hey? Yeah. Um, but other than that, his his percentages have not been brilliant. Um, Pollard's yeah. still the undisputed number one. Elton was the undisputed number two. Um, do they, you know, the, the benefit of the end of year tour is that we have the SA Select 15, or I don't think they're calling it an SAA team, mm. um, and they can take a wider squad and maybe take a guy like Jordan Hendricks or um chris smith or you know see see if johan Hursen has still got it yes uh, yeah it's a good point he, he's going to have a, a urc now to prove himself at the bulls but there's a lot of competition at 10 for the bulls as well there's chris smith and Mornay stain yeah uh, <laughs> exactly Hurston's played 15 this last weekend will he get time at, at 10 to prove himself um will he have to play himself back into form at 15 and then shift to 10 Yes, time will tell, but he's also got a, a chance to prove himself in Springbok jersey at the end of year tour. So fly-off's another position that we've been forced to look at our depth. Um, but a lot of those other ones, we've seen guys pretty sewn up. Um, the we've, we, another another area is is eight. You know, we've 
We've had Dwayne Famila, mm. who's proven himself over many years. Jasper Visa seems to have, uh, you know, take a, leapfrogged him into that eight jersey and made it his own. Um, Dwayne's going to have to play himself back into back into the Springbok team to prevent himself from playing a sort of Bob Skinstad type role at the World Cup, you know, where he went as a, a grizzled old leader, but not necessarily someone who's going to play against the top teams. Yeah. And then you've got Elrich, Elrich Lowe and uh, Evan Ruiz chomping at the bit as well. And they're, they're probably natural eights as well. Yeah. And they both so, scored this weekend. So yeah, even straight, straight back into the group. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll discuss it in a little bit. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, I agree. So, yeah, there's a lot of good depth building in different positions. Um, but I don't think the door's closed to, to people in the URC just yet. Yeah. I, I think I read that. Given, I think it's a pretty d- uh, difficult end of year tour, and obviously in Europe, it will be the last time playing in Europe before the World Cup. They're going to treat those big games as, you know, knockout matches um, in a World Cup playoff. And like you said, there's the midweek games to really give other guys more game time and exposure. So hopefully that will really allow the Springboks to be as ready and developed. Obviously, there's still the whole of next year, but as possible going forward towards the World Cup next year. And um, we're going into those games as underdogs. Hey, we're playing the world number one and the world number two. Yeah, exactly. So, France and Ireland. And then England at home, it's a game that's always difficult for the Springboks, I think. So, yeah, some difficult fixtures, if that's one. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think given the the disappointment in not winning the rugby championship it shouldn't be um forgotten that it was an impressive at least points margin win over argentina so it's not all doom and gloom um and like i said at the beginning there were some very positive results in the urc south african teams um there were also almost every single match in this, this weekend was just really exciting in terms of number of tries and just crazy yeah some of the tries in particular were just ridiculous but um well before we go into the urc if we could just if i could just mention like i don't think we lost the rugby championship in this game against argentina yeah that's true i think we lost it in the games against australia and new zealand that we lost and we could have won um yeah. or at least got a, a losing bonus point which we missed out on or, or kept them from having winning bonus points like uh, yeah it was yeah. a, an inconsistent tournament, and we, we paid for it in the end, but I really don't think we can blame this Springbok squad this last weekend for, for failing to win the tournament. I feel like no. that has to be said. Yeah, and I agree with you 100%. For me, really, I mean, we sort of discussed at the beginning what we expected, but if you want to win a tournament, you have to win your home games, I think. So losing that second game against New Zealand at Ellis Park was really the killer, unfortunately. Um, yeah. And yeah, obviously, if we had beaten New Zealand twice, then it would have changed the whole complexion of the rest of the tournament. So one, and again, maybe not just that game, like you said, even bonus points elsewhere and other that other game against Australia, but that one was the real kick in the teeth, I think. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, all right. So I'm just going to touch on some of the URC games. I think the first one of the weekend was the Sharks getting a relatively impressive win over Zebra. They won 42-37. I think what the only disappointing thing from a Sharks perspective was that they were they had a massive lead 
and then they let Zebra get back into it, and it was in the end a real, a very close, um, a close win, and it could have easily swung the other way. But I mean, impressive to get an away win and score that many tries to get a full five points um, on the log. Are you thinking Sharks is looking good this year? Yeah, for me it'll be interesting how they integrate back their Springboks. As as with all the South African sides except the Lions, you know, <laughs> <laughs> not not even one. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I think the Sharks the Sharks have a lot of marquee players. You know, with with the Rock Nation coming in and and all those big signings they've made, and it's going to be key how they integrate those guys back into the side because Zebra are unlikely to have a much better season than last year. So. They did well to come back against the Sharks, but uh, I think the Sharks are definitely one to watch this year. Yeah, it should be interesting. I mean, with all the teams in the Springboks, like which players are going to be given an extended break. And I think if I remember last year, the more sort of fringe um, squad members were almost allowed to go straight back into the teams. And I think I saw for the Stormers, like Dweba and um, Herschel Yankees and someone else were already training this week. So we might see them this week already. But I think some of the players who have been playing like almost every game, um, so someone like Colisi, I don't think will be back this week or even maybe for the tour at all. So should be interesting, like you say, to see how all the teams other than the Lions do integrate the box back. Um, yeah, on Friday, there were also wins for Glasgow over Cardiff and Leinster over Benetton. But the next, the two South African games, which happened at the same time, unfortunately, so we couldn't all watch all of them. But the Stormers had a pretty comprehensive 38-15 win over Connacht. We mentioned earlier, um, unfortunately, Sabella Snatler got a bad injury. Um, Bundy Aki got a red card. It's not his first time getting a red card, if I believe. And it was a pretty nasty collision to the head, which he also seemed to complain about, which I think didn't go down well with most even you know, Irish fans. Um, but other than that, it was a pretty comprehensive win over Connacht, who are not the strongest Irish team, but they're still, you know, one of the sort of, they're definitely not one of the weakest teams in the tournament. No, I mean, yeah, all the Irish teams are tipped to sort of be in the top half of the table at least. And Connacht had a few uh, big names playing for them. And yeah, it was good to see the Stormers having lost uh, their fluency from last season. They scored some really cracking tries last season. And they're showing similarly creative streaks right now. It's a shame to lose Sinatra. Um, yeah, uh, it doesn't sound good from the murmurings coming out of the Stormers camp. So, like I said, I think Angelo Davis will get an extended run on the wing now. Um, I'm not sure how far Zass is away from coming back. Um, but, uh, yeah, good to see my boy Evan Russ, first draft pick, um, <laughs> a 45-meter try, even though it hurt me to see him run through my other draft love Mac Hansen. <laughs> yeah, straight through. Yeah, that was a bit embarrassing for any Mac Hansen lovers out there. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was great to see the Stormers backing up, um, at least in the first game of the season, their, their championship sort of uh, moniker. So, yeah, good good for them, good start to the season. Again, you know, it's going to be interesting to see which Stormers players come back and they probably don't want to upset some of that, that good mojo going on in the squad early on. Another thing to be said is, of course, they were in Stellenbosch and not um, Cape Town Stadium. Yes. And from what I saw, it looked like really good chaos there. Um, apparently, they they gave free beers to the first 500 students in the stadium. Yeah, it's always 
it's an easy win, right? Like, I don't understand why that sort of thing doesn't happen more, obviously, especially in Stellenbosch. It's a, but yeah, that sort of thing is an yeah, instant sort of... Surefire, surefire way to get people up and, and, and up for the game. Yeah. Um, similar to, I guess, the, the zoo in Dunedin, where they have the, the students all in one stand just going absolutely crazy. Yeah, exactly. It always gives such a great atmosphere to the game. So... I know the next game is back in Cape Town Stadium, but I think they have at least one other fixture in Stellenbosch and then one more in PE, I think. Yeah, I think I think this weekend was supposed to be in Stellenbosch also because of, you know, I think it was the Justin Bieber concert, but because Justin Bieber pulled out. So uh, this past weekend, they had already organized too much, so they kept it in Stellenbosch. But uh, yeah, this weekend it's back in Cape Town um, against Edinburgh. So... Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's cool to have it in a place like Stellenbosch because Stellenbosch is also not like, so it's literally like half an hour away from Cape Town. and It's, you know, it's not taking it away from the major fan base. So I, I think having at least one or two games there, I wouldn't hate it to yeah. see, you know, that happen every season. Absolutely. Um, and then on, and, on the Bulls, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. Yeah, Bulls, Edinburgh, it was 33-31. Yeah, I caught I caught some of the the later stages of the game. Um, I was away in the low felt, so in Bulls country actually, <laughs> nice. and, uh, well, Pumas country I guess, but they're not in the in the URC, so they divert to the Bulls. Um, yeah, Mornay Stain stepping up to kick a game-winning penalty. We've seen that before. <laughs> exactly. He may be 36 or 37, however many years now, but he still got it. Absolutely. I mean, um, Edinburgh, I mean, if if I had to choose a non-South African side to support, I think I might pick Edinburgh. I, mean, I lived there for a year, so I'm a little bit biased, but also <laughs> I enough. like some of their players. I like some of Darcy Graham and yes, and a few of their forwards. Uh, really excite me. I think they they're a fun team to watch. Um, I, so it was it was a good game, and, and the Bulls nearly nearly let it slip, but um, good for them hanging on for the win. Yeah, I agree. I think Edinburgh are. Very exciting. And they're definitely one of the better... I mean, I think that it was either one or two games, but Edinburgh were one of the only teams to win in South Africa last year. They beat the Sharks um, in completely different conditions. It was like pouring with rain and they won like 12-6 or something. Um, But there was also Henry Immelman, who actually is, um, you know, obviously South African born and bred, had a chance to win the game in the very last minute. He had more than enough distance from like, you know, 50 meters out. But it, it was his second one in a row, I think, where he just, he hit it really, really hard, but he didn't have any accuracy going for him. So even though they had the chance to win, it didn't happen. And that happened because um, Stravino Jacobs, there was a high tackle right at the end of the match. And it was yeah. relatively controversial because he hit initially, he smashed him like in the chest, which looked like a really good tackle. But I think for me, at least, there was enough evidence of the slight right up to the like chin slash neck area, which made it dangerous. And it, I think the refs got it spot on because it wasn't worthy of anything else but to give a penalty. I know it angered a lot of Bulls fans from what I heard, but I think they got it right. But in the end, because he missed the kick, it didn't become too much of a big deal, I guess. Yeah, Stravino went from hero to villain very quickly. I mean, he scored a great try as he's shown he's capable of doing. Uh, there's a lot of competition in that um, in that Bulls back three, by the way, with you know yes, yeah. and Kirtley Lawrence are coming back now from the storm from the Springboks camp. Yeah. And, um Stravino Jacobs is a definite, you know, up and coming star and I hope he gets some good game time 
um, this URC. And you know, yeah, you got to ask yourself if if Emiliano Buffelli was not playing for Argentina and he was playing for Edinburgh in that game as he does for his club, he probably would have nailed that kick and Edinburgh might have won. So yeah, yeah I agree. <laughs> it's going to be a deadly back three between Damien Hoyland, Emiliano Buffelli, and Darcy Graham going forward. Yeah, I reckon that's right up there with you know any club's best in the world in terms of a back three. So, yeah, and then the final South African game of the weekend was the Lions got a surprising one-point win over the Ospreys. I managed to watch this one, and um, yeah, like I say, surprised. I was uh, pleasantly surprised. It wasn't the greatest performance, I must admit, from the Lions, um, but they did enough to stay in the game, and they, they did score one really nice try towards the end of the game. Um, which was scored by Edward Fenimover, who was quiet most of the game, but whenever he touches the ball, he still looks electric. I know, Andrew, you are relatively disappointed to see him leave the Stormers. Um, I think he's, if he can get his hands more on the ball, even though he's playing for you know a team who's not as strong, I still hope that there is some you know chance of him achieving some higher honors. I really just think that he has a bit of or like he has everything he needs but uh yeah getting away from that in the build-up to that try i just wanted to quickly mention so jp smith and ron smith i know all our australian listeners know them very well but they both came on as the two replacement props and so far this season they've been absolutely shocking i think combined they've given away like eight penalties off the bench and it's been the most frustrating thing because they last week they literally came on and Pretty much the whole game went wrong because of them. But I would say to some degree they redeemed themselves. If you haven't seen the highlights from this game, please go and watch. There's a beautiful loop around that I think JP does with Ruan and then gives an amazing like slow wide pass out to Edward van der for the winning try. And it, yeah, like I said, for me, it redeemed all the bad penalties so far this season, but it was my favorite moment of the weekend. Um, so I just had to get that that in there. <laughs> How did you feel um, the new halfback fly half pairing went of Nahamba and Gianni Lombard? I think it's a, it's an interesting one because I think like they definitely played well, um, and Nahamba got the official man of the match, and I thought Lombard was really composed and kept things going, and he had a really good game too. But I just I I, I don't think that I prefer them to. Uh, Mornay Vandenberg and Jordan Hendrickse. So it's interesting to have good options. And I was trying to think, I was talking to someone about it after the game, about not the scrum hours, but what the best way to play both um, Lombard and Hendrickse would be. Mm. Given that we have relatively decent fullback depth too. I mean, right now we're playing Quan Horn on the wing, which I don't love because I think he's got a really uh, high ceiling of potential at fullback and he doesn't quite get enough space on the wing the way that the Lions are playing at the moment so I'm not sure I, I really like Lombard I, I'm not quite convinced about Nohamba despite him having a good game um, but I like Lombard enough that I think I would want to see him and Hendricks in the same team but I'm just not sure how that's going to happen mm, yeah Kieran Horn's got a little bit of like Tyron Green about him yeah he's like he's definitely not like big imposing and I don't think he's even that fast but he's He's got something. He's got like the little nuggetiness and he's got like whenever he gets the ball, he's able to 
make more meters than you would expect, even like in limited space. So Lions are one to watch then, Phil? I hope so. I mean, this was, I think, the easiest game of their three-match tour. So here, from here on, I think they've got um, two tougher matches. I can't remember which two teams it is. But yeah, I mean, there's room for optimism. And if they can build on this, um, play relatively decently with moments of magic, yeah, anything can happen. Yeah, they've got um, Cardiff coming up on the 30th of September and then Edinburgh on the 7th of October. Okay, and Edinburgh, I guess, will be returning from here, so perhaps that will play in their favour. Um, yeah, okay. And then there was one Sunday match where, they, where it was quite a big surprise, actually, because Dragons, who got smashed in the previous weekend, managed to get a win over Munster, who are, I think, now bottom of the table, second bottom, and that's a big shot because they were one of the... Uh, league um, leaders last year so we'll see if Munster can get their act together yeah um, I was very surprised by that result I mean I think people on the basis of last week but also just some of the, the pre-tournament chat thought the Dragons were going to be the whipping boys of this competition so huge result huge upset I mean very few of us would have picked that on Superbrew <laughs> yeah definitely yeah, okay. So it was a, a, an exciting URC weekend, I think, um, and I hope that it's going to remain that way. I was saying t uh, to someone as well that um, the weather, I think, for almost all the games looked really good this weekend, and obviously it's still um, September time at the moment. So normally towards the end of the year, there's quite a shift in the weather, and we get very wet and very um, you know, muddy games. So I think we really have to enjoy these trifests while we still can before <laughs> before at least up north it turns a bit. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see how it goes and hopefully the South African teams can keep on doing well. Hope so. I mean, it's, it's only going to get warmer in South Africa. I was down in the low felt this last weekend and it was 34 degrees two days in a row. So that's that's sort of the thing we're going to start looking forward to in places like Durban. You know, playing in tropical yeah. heat over the summer. <laughs> it's going to be very interesting. It is pretty crazy. I think we even have um, like Boxing Day matches lined up. So that sort of thing is just going to be interesting, if nothing else. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, just so to, I think to finish off this evening, we're going to, as I mentioned earlier, just look at a, a team of the tournament for now that the rugby championship has concluded. And I, I, I did say that this might be a bit difficult to do, given the inconsistency of the teams, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, Andrew, you said you want to start from 15 down. Do you think that's going to be easier? Yeah, let's give that a bash. Okay. So at fullback, um, is there anyone who sticks out to you straight away? For me, there's two contenders. I don't think there was enough consistency at 15 for the Aussies to go with anyone there. And I don't think Juan Cruz Malia really outshone Jordi Barrett and Billy LaRue. So... For me, it's a pick between the two of them. Maybe on, on the most recent form, you might give Geordie the nod, although he played at 12. I don't know how much we weigh that into these selections. Yeah. Billy, Billy had a, a very good tournament, though. I would I would maybe be leaning towards Billy LaRue. It's, it is tough because the one other guy who I was thinking about, and you mentioned him earlier, maybe you weren't thinking of him as a fullback because they've moved around, but Villains has started at 15, right? When Billy was still on the bench. And he had
think about who even had more game time out of the South African options. Um, uh, and my Wi-Fi just came back on. I heard I'm still connected. But um, you dropped for about five seconds, but we've got you back. It's all good. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, I'm happy to. Uh, I, 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 I am leaning towards Jordy, but I would never say no to Billy. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to put Billy down as our, as our option. I think, given that Billy got good game time off the bench, I don't think it's unfair to, to pick him. You know, he, he did play those first three or four games off the bench, yeah. but he did see a lot of game time. So I'm, I'm happy to give that to Billy. Okay, perfect. All right, let's move down to 14. I think um, for me, I, 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 I naturally want to say Will Jordan, but I don't. I think he was too quiet until like the last game. So I, I, I think he's the best 14. But I think someone like um, Boffelli was probably stronger than him in the, in in terms of the tournament because I think Boffelli played 14 for Argentina. Did he play 14 or 11? I can't exactly remember. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Maybe 11, yeah. Yeah, 11 is going to be a tricky one. I mean, there's a lot of standouts at 11. I think 14 was a, uh, probably Will Jordan's. Um, he he had a quiet tournament by his standards, but his standards are so high that <laughs> he still had a brilliant tournament, I thought. <laughs> You're Maybe, not tempted, was, he was not tempted to say Tom Wright, one of your fantasy boys. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Tom Wright in a Wallaby jersey, to be honest. <laughs> no, yeah, me too. but I'm not a big fan of his at international level. I think maybe the safe choice is giving it to Will Jordan there, hey? Yeah, I think you're right. And then moving to 13, uh, again, it's tough. I think for South Africa, with I'm getting injured early in the tournament, Krill playing there, but not really impressing enough. So then looking at the other options, um, I, I, I think that the Australian centres didn't quite do... I, I do like Len Ikatao, and he's the Australian option. I think he does a lot of the little things right, and even when they weren't doing well, um, I, I, I really enjoy watching him. He's just one of these players who I can just appreciate like almost every involvement that he has with the ball. Like I feel like he does the right thing. Um, but Rico, for the All Blacks, is more... Like he has the sort of highlights to back up possibly his selection. What would you think? Yeah, I agree with that. Like Rico's the big play player, and and Lene Kital's the the consistently good, but but more quiet and reserved. Sort of in a um, uh, it was the famous thirteen for for South Africa with Jean Ville Jacques Ferry. He's sort yeah. of in that in that sort of mold. You know, he, he'll do everything right, but he, he won't have the highlights reel that that Rico Iwane does. So. Between the two of them, I think Am just was unfortunate not to get the game time. Uh, Matthias Moroni was at the heart of a lot of the good stuff that Argentina did do, but that was such a such an up and down team. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess you you're probably picking Rico here, I imagine. I think so. I think yeah. Again, I hate having to default to all black options, but I think Rico <laughs> does take this one. Um, and I think 12 is also a tough one because uh, just no one's standing out for me. Um, like we said, Jordi really played well in his one game there, but I don't think Havili did enough. I really liked De La Fuente, but he got injured in the first or second game in Argentina, but especially his try where he got injured and still managed to like pull himself yeah. to the try line. Yeah. Um, 
I think that I haven't been super impressed with um, Dialende this tournament, but I think he's still he's such a solid player that like even his his games where he doesn't impress me are still like seven out of tens. That's just, I mean, in this tournament specifically, I think Dialende was the only twelve that played consistently all the way through. Yeah. And I think the Springboks got more out of him when we had Damien Willemser at ten being able yeah. to create a bit of unpredictability on his inside. And also when 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 Willemso was a 10, Damien de Allender played a lot more of nine, which I felt gave him more direct sort of momentum. You know, the, the opposing backline didn't have the same opportunity to charge up and cut down his space. So yeah, he wasn't brilliant in the last game and he had some sort of iffy showings, but he also had some some really good games, um, scoring a really quite an emotional try against Australia as well. The guys were pumped up for that game. Yeah, yeah I'm happy to give that one to Damien. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, then we get to number 11, and I think we, yeah, like you said, Buffelli played more at 11. So the options there, I would imagine. Corabiti is probably a pretty decent shout for Australia. Then you have Buffelli. But New Zealand... Caleb Clark is a player who, who he's not really my type of player, I think. For me, he he's so like physically gifted and he's always again, he's gonna like you watch a highlight package and he'll he'll do these amazing things. But what frustrates me about him is just making the wrong decisions, like when he makes the breaks and bad defensive reads and that sort of thing. Um and I think Mapimpi's been too quiet this tournament, unfortunately. Not all his own fault. Um, so I'm leaning towards Corabiti or Buffelli. So what do you say? Um, I would say you know, Corabiti had games where he was just absolutely unstoppable. He was like the best player on the park by far, especially early on in the tournament. But he mm. did tail off in some of the games, especially that second game against Australia, uh, against South Africa. He, he he really was shown up by Kane and Moody on his debut. Yeah, which that's true. says says a lot. Um, and I think Buffelli was consistent. And in terms of the impact that he made relative to like his team, I think he was incredible. I mean, his his goal kicking percentage was yeah, in in the nineties, and he kicks from distance. He doesn't kick the easy kicks. Yeah. Um. So I I'm happy to give that to Buffelli also because he's in my draft teams. So. <laughs> that he is, and he's just so good under the high ball. Like having that safe option is just yeah. Yeah. It's great. I think fly half's a pretty tough one. Um, yeah, do you want to give your thoughts? I'm not even sure. Um, Australia seesawed between Laliceo and Foley and tried to play Quaid as well. Yeah. Like they had enough consistency there to really consider any of their players. Careerist for me, flatter to deceive. I still think he's playing out of position at 10. I don't think they've found their solution there yet. Yep. So it's between the South African and New Zealand 10s. Um, Pollard was okay in the beginning of the, the tournament, but he also was probably outperformed by Damien Willemser once he came to 10. Yeah. Um, and if we gave him a shot, at, if we were going to count his game time at 15, I think Willemser had a cracking tournament. Yeah. New Zealand started off with Barrett at 10 and then ended the tournament with a couple of games with Richie Moonga, who had a bit more influence as as time wore on. You know, his first game 
back in that 10 channel wasn't anything like the Richie of, of the Crusaders, you know, breaking mm. tackles and breaking the game open and making good plays. But he did start to show that as as he got more sort of settled in the position. Um, yeah, so for me, it's between Damien Willemsen and Richie Maonga. Um, given that New Zealand came back into the tournament off a few bad performances and results early on, I think maybe you've got to go with Maonga on this one, although it feels like a harsh call on Damien. Yeah, I think, I think like you said, Willemsen gets penalised in an unfair sense just because he's moved around. I think he... Probably played like two position, two games of each, if I remember right. And Moanga, I think, yeah, he didn't play that first loss to the Springboks, but he came back for the Ellis Park match. So I think his, even though he wasn't, like you said, his Crusaders best, he he didn't always look like he was leading the ship, I guess, but ultimately he was the fly half. So to, in some, to some degree he did. So I think we can give it to Richie here. Um, yeah, so then nine, I think nine, to be honest, is a position where we've been surprised by not just the emergence, but the willingness to play Jaden Hendrickser over mm-hmm. Faf as much as they have. And I think that's because he's played so well. So um, I think Aaron Smith is always pretty good, but I would be more than happy to vouch for Hendrickser here. I think we need to disqualify Nick White based on his aesthetic. <laughs> based off his moustache, did you say? No. <laughs> uh, yeah, his moustache and his aesthetic. Um, right. And, yeah, Jake Gordon only got one game, I think, in some time off the bench, and Tate played off the bench. So, uh, And uh, Kubeli and Bertrand, you are uh, a bit... I struggle to tell the difference sometimes, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, Jaden Hendricks has been consistently good. He's had some games where he hasn't been as influential, but... Uh, was he 22 and he's just fitted into the spring box so well and upstaged for after clerk so yeah it was a, a big tournament for him um happy to give him the, the nod there yeah okay i think um i think that's a fair sort of distribution from uh, the backs that we've given so moving into the forwards uh eighth man i think for me it's a tough one because Again, you've got a player like Adi Sevilla, who is just such a machine, who I still, to some degree at least, feel like is playing out of position. But I also feel like he's one of the best players in the world, no matter what position he's playing. So, But then at the same time, I've been so impressed every time like with Rob Valentini and how much, especially how much he's improved. I think he's mostly been playing eight for Australia. They have moved, moved it around slightly. Um, we mentioned earlier Visa's been super solid for and Argentina's back trio also like it's always like one of their strengths even it seems when they're playing badly um I'm not sure I I I find it not hard to not give it to Adi but I'm tempted to give it to Valentini yeah I think we need one Australian representative (laughs) (laughs) should have we not chosen one yet yeah (laughs) let's let's go for Valentini I feel like Valentini's been consistently good enough yeah yeah and then moving on to seven so I I guess we'll do we'll do the sort of relative open side so maybe sixes for um South Africa and Argentina in this sense so Khaleesi is an option Matera is an option Kane before injury slash, I mean, Papa Lee definitely didn't play enough. Um, I think, I, I, I don't know what to make of Australia's balance. Like when they play Samu, I think because they played Samu there with um, 
Valentini and it was Wilson this weekend, but they generally were the, a bigger guy at number six. I think Khaleesi's played well enough to take it. I'd be tempted to give a shout to Juan Martin Gonzalez. I think he, he's been really good as a, a pretty green player for Argentina. I think he scored four tries during this tournament. Yeah, he has been uh, their breakthrough for sure. But but Colisi has really played very, very well. I think maybe I'm, I'm, I'm siding with Sia with an honorable mention for Juan Martin. Well, that's the thing. I think I always think, I mean, I, I, I agree that Gonzalez has, you know, risen to the occasion. I think I was thinking more of Matera playing in the position that Colisi plays and Gonzalez playing where like Peter Steff would play. Um, but yeah, I think both of them then yeah would. Most most of the tournament, I think it was Gonzalez on on the the open side, uh, Crema on the blind, and Matera at eight. So I'm happy. Uh, yeah, fair enough. No, I th- yeah, I think um, you're probably right there. So okay, yeah, well, definitely an honourable mention for. Gonzalez, nonetheless. Um, and then blindside, I'll leave this one to you. Yeah. Um, again, I think Argentina's uh, back rows have been consistently good. If they can take any positives out of this tournament, I think that's that's definitely one of them. They've got a, a really good settled back three, nicely balanced. So Marcos Kramer had a really, really good tournament. I think he made the most tackles of any mm. player in the whole competition. Um, and he was unlucky to get a yellow card this last weekend. I think it was a, a team infringements type card. Um, he's generally one of the more uh, sort of better disciplined Argentinian forwards. They have a bit of a reputation. Um, so Kramer's definitely a shout here. Uh, New Zealand sort of rotated a little bit. We had Shannon Frizzal there. We had a Kiri Rwana there. Um, South Africa had Peter Steff to Toy and Franco Mostert sharing game time. Mm. Um, Australia also had a little bit of Nick Frost early on and then Valentini later on and um, Jed Holloway put his hand up a bit. But then Even the Liotta last, played. Yeah. yeah, Liotta played. So just out of consistency of selection and performance, I'm going Marcus Kramer. Yeah, that sounds good to me. I think you're right. So let's move to locks. I think we can do sort of um, number five first, so five, I think, for me, white lock stands out more or less. I think Lewitt has not quite played well enough. I think he's not quite at his best at the moment. Um, I think Lavanini for Argentina has actually not been bad. He always gets a bad rap because of his disciplinary record, but if you can look past that, perhaps he's... Hasn't been too bad. And Australian locks, uh, I don't know. I'm never too impressed. <laughs> yeah. Do do the All Blacks play? I mean, I know they often play like Barrett and, and Whitelock together and um, Whitelock and Brody Vitalik together. Does Sam consistently get selected at five or does he get shifted to four? I don't really know where they play them. I think like, he yeah. played like a five role for me. Yeah, I mean, he's got a four on his back. Like, if he's playing with either Barrett or um, Retallick, I would think that he's the five option. But he can move there, especially like now that he's a bit older, a bit bigger, or slower. Like, if he's playing with one of the young locks, like Tupavai or someone. Um, so, I'm not 100% sure. I don't say it with full confidence that he's played in the five or even in that role the whole tournament. But, yeah. 
Yeah, he has been he has been very good. I mean, it's great to see him returning to some really good form. Lutdiaga's been pretty consistent. Um, maybe not changing games, but he's been very reliable. I feel like. Yeah. Um, probably deserves a shot, but uh, yeah, I mean, if we're gonna say that we want that number five role lock, I think Sam Whitelock's probably been the outstanding performer, even if he's got a four on his back. I think he's played the number five role. Sure. And um and yeah, I think for the Springboks, it's a bit at number four. Like he got a yellow card and like we said, perhaps unfortunately this weekend and a disallowed try. But even other than that, I think it's a bit has been he for me is someone who his consistent level has become so good that it's like it's expected expected every game and that sometimes becomes easy to take for granted like just because he's always at that level but for me he's the best in the world in that position and it shows like almost every game i can't remember him being substituted once this tournament and he was selected in every side yeah because he he might have played eight minutes every game he, and he even played in that midweek wales game right because that was his hundredth so he's played a lot of rugby he has. Uh, it makes me a little bit worried because he is in my draft lineup, so I don't think he's <laughs> going to get much time for the Sharks. Yeah, I think he's he, he's going to get a rest until next year, I think, probably. Yeah, geez, can you imagine an international like all-star side with Sam Whitelock and Evan Isabeth? That is scary. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, pretty yeah, like all-star lineup right there. Um, is, there any, is there any other honourable mention you want to just put in for luck before we move to the front row? Um, I'm a big fan of Matt Phillip. Um, I think he's a really hard worker, and he maybe hasn't been backed as consistently as he could have been for the Wallabies. Um, yeah, maybe he hasn't had the consistent performances to back it up, but I think he's a world-class four. I, I like him too, and he's such a he's such a like workhorse, and he's underrated, I think, because he gets through so much work. I think his impact is not. If if he could have the same impact at super as at international level as he does at super rugby level, he would I would say be at that level. So I, I think just like he does the he does he has the effort to do it, but I think he get, just gets pushed back that much more at this level. But I think I still think he's underrated, and yeah, he he probably is worth a mention. Yeah, and, and Alemano did well, but I think Argentina also missed Guido Petty at four. Yeah, and he he has been in the squad. I'm not sure if he's still just like struggling with injuries or what, but he yeah he hasn't played enough. I think he just he was coming back from an injury, so he didn't get the game time. Sure. Yeah. And then we'll move to the front row. I think um, let's start with Tighthead. Uh, so someone we saw none of pretty much in this whole tournament is like Taniela Tupa. He's had issues, so Alan Alatua has had to step up for Australia. I think he has. You know, he hasn't stood out. Um, I think for New Zealand, they've because they sort of replaced their front row after the bad game against the Springboks, and the two guys who came in have both been decent. But I, I'm still not a hundred percent convinced by them, to be honest. Mm. Um, and, and and I think that um, yeah, Malherba has gotten more starts than we're used to, and I think he's been really good and really consistent yeah i think you got to reward big big fit france here as we like to call him yes uh, we do yeah uh, there was a, a great meme going around with uh you know when elton had his uh 
incident with the dietitian that um, France was just he was so shocked by the incident because he was surprised <laughs> to hear there was a dietitian on the team. Um, it's really unfair. I mean, he's a really hardworking guy and he really milks penalties for us. He's just unparalleled at um, at scrum time. And I think his probably closest challenger, Alatoa. Yeah. The fact that um, the fact that the most memorable moment of Alan Alatoa was having Ibn Ezebeth screaming in his face maybe says something. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I think I think that's probably right then. Malherbe first with Alaloto second. To, now for Hooker, I think this is a position I'm actually struggling to choose a winner. I've got two clear favorites in mind, so perhaps you can uh, help me. But tell me if anyone should be with Marx and Samasoni Takiyahu compete, competing for this one. Well, Julien Montoya, I think, deserves a mention. I think this is a, a tough one because there's a number of real, real standout performers across the tournament. Uh, Australia aren't in the conversation. I don't think they had between Ferrecki and Falafeng uh, uh, yeah. standout performances, really. Uh, Takeaho, I really doubted his selection ahead of Cody Taylor and Dan Coles um, at the beginning of the tournament, and I really have to eat humble pie here and give him big props for um oh, props oh, he's a hooker but, um <laughs> he, he's <laughs> he's done incredibly well and really settled nicely into that new zealand front row um and has really done the basics well as well i can't remember much in the way of line out inconsistently or inconsistency or scrummaging problems um that at least we can blame him for and he scored a number of really good tries in the tight loose so he, he's been really good. Um, Julio Montoya's led a resurgent Argentina, so you've got to give him some, some kudos for pulling them into, you know, some really good performances, although they haven't really been consistent about it. They they have had some really good victories and just not backed it up at all. I don't know if they maybe party too hard after the victories and they, they, they lose lose their performances. Um, he, he's been in the conversation. But for me, I, I think this has to go to Malcolm Marks. He played a couple of 80-minute performances, which just entrenched his his title for me as the, the world's best hooker. And yeah. his performances off the bench, he, he usually got 35 minutes off the bench and really made a mark, whether it was replacing <laughs> Bongi and Bonambi, made his marks. Yeah. Um, whether it was replacing Bongi and Bonambi or Joseph Dweber, um, he just never fails to produce incredible performances and yeah he's had one or two semi-quiet competitions internationally uh, or seasons internationally like he really burst on the scene and it was everyone just was like unanimous he's the best hooker in world rugby and then he went off the boil a little bit without being bad but i feel this season he's really like surged back to the top of the rankings for me i i think he usurps sami at, uh, at two for our team of the tournament. Yeah, I think that's very fair. You've convinced me. But I also, I mean, maybe as a positive for the Springboks, but I also I feel a little, I don't know what the word is, just like I would like to have seen more from Marks on a club level. I mean, it's always tough when players play in Japan just because we don't get as good a look at them. But I loved him when he played for the Lions and his impact. And yeah, obviously he played in a time when the Lions were really good. But I'm just almost surprised that like the richest teams in the world, you know, like in France or in England or where, wherever, um, haven't just thrown money at him because he would be such a 
such an um, asset to have for anyone. Absolutely. Yeah, that's their loss. So we'll round off with um, a look at um, loose head options. Um, to be honest, none of them are sort of standing out to me. I don't think someone like Kitschoff has been too impactful. Um, I'm still not convinced by De Groot, as I sort of alluded to earlier. And I, I, I'm always more, oh, I was a bit more excited to see um, Gallo or Gallo, Thomas Gallo. Um, and I haven't quite seen him do too much. So anyone you want to mention from an Australian perspective, perhaps, or anyone you just think definitely deserves that spot? Yeah, it's it's not a it's not a spot where there's been massive performances contrasting to like Hooker where we've we've got three out of four teams like vying for a spot in this team of the tournament. No, yeah, at at uh, at Lucid it's it's the, the the best of a mediocre bunch. It feels like you know Kitschoff has been um, workhorsey and he, he's done a job, but he hasn't shown like he can do even despite his red hair. And Gajo has shown glimpses of his really good performances, but I think it also speaks volumes that he was dropped for this last game, I think, in anticipation of a big scrum battle. But I don't think his contributions and primary props job is to scrum. Um, maybe he falls down there, but I think for me, and, and this is surprising for me, is I think James Slipper has been the, the real standout performer. I think he's done really well and he's been thrust into a really important leadership role for the Wallabies. Um, he's captained them a couple of times and he's been consistently good and sort of gritty and he's got the work done in, in, in an Australian side that sometimes not played very well. I don't feel like Slipper's ever you know, done himself any damage in terms of his reputation. I think he's had a good tournament. Yeah, that's a very fair shot. He he's definitely front and center as a leader. Like he's yeah. Um and it's I'm also a little bit disappointed. I think um Angus Bell is one of those players who hasn't quite I mean he's still very young, especially for a prop, but he hasn't quite managed to translate that sort of epic super rugby level to international level. But maybe perhaps there's still time for him yet. Well, I think he's twenty two or something now, so twenty three maybe. Yeah. Uh, he's definitely got time and he's he's been serving as a bit of an understudy and that'll serve him well. I mean, James Slip has been around the block a few times and yeah, Bell also had a, a minor injury halfway through the tournament, which disrupted his, his yeah. performances a bit in his game time. So I think he's one to watch for the future. Yeah, and I think that rounds up our team. Um, yeah, let us know uh, on one of the I don't know, social media channels if you have any strong disagreements or if we got anything horribly wrong. But um, yeah, I think that's probably going to do us for today. Well, thank you if you've managed to stick around with us for this long. Um, thank you, Andrew, for all your wisdom and um, insight. Yeah, thanks, Phil. I thought between the two of us, we might struggle to get through an hour's worth of content. But here we are sitting at just <laughs> over an hour and 10 minutes, and I feel like we can still keep going. And we, we barely even touched on the, the URC, but I guess it's... As the weeks go on and we uh, get more and more invested in that tournament and the international rugby drops away, we'll yeah. have more to say on that front. But yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. As you say, the international season is on hold for a bit, at least until the end of season tours. So we have URC matches to look forward to. Um, we'll see if we can put together some podcasts and 
we'll hopefully see you all soon. Good night. Yes.